Welcome to the Lake Point Church Weekend Messages Podcast. Thanks for joining us to hear the latest sermons happening at our church. We pray that God speaks to you in a timely way through this message. And if you're encouraged by this podcast, be sure to rate, review, and share it to help get the word out. You can find more digital content to feed your faith and our other podcasts by visiting lakepoint.church/digital. Now, let's tune into the message for today. I need you to turn to two passages, not just one, two passages. We're going to be in uh, Genesis 2 and then put your finger in Ephesians chapter 6. So Genesis 2 and Ephesians chapter 6. And uh, man, if you're new with us, I just want to say welcome. Um, We are in the last week of a series called Act Like Men that um, really honestly, I have super, that guy too, he enjoyed it too, this guy right here. I have really, really enjoyed um, teaching this series. And I I do just want to say this, um, just like, Kind of, kind of share my heart. I have been so proud of a spe- the men and especially some of the younger men in our church that are making decisions to follow Jesus. You know, we, what we've said during the series is that um, you can never stand up and act like a man before first bending your knee and submitting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, who was the greatest man that ever lived because he was the God man who laid down his life in service for other people. And so, uh, man, I've just been so honestly proud of the guys in our church. We're seeing a dude step forward and like start serving in the church with their families for the first time and uh, uh, baptizing kids, seeing daddies baptizing kids. And um, all around you, there's people at, you know, at campuses making these life decisions. Uh, we've got guys during this series who have made the decision to honor Jesus in their families and to actually marry the women that they started creating families with. And so that's right, man, that's what I wanted to do. Just say, hey man, we're proud of you. And uh, seriously, what we didn't want, I I did not want this series to feel like it was a hand against you. No, no, no. This is, we want this a, a hand out to help you, not a hand against you. And so, uh, man, we love you. And uh, uh, before we get in today, I do also just want to say this in the act like, uh, with the Act Like Men deal. Um, during this series, every now and then, not, not super, every now and then, I've gotten a comment like, man, the whole series is about building men. It kind of feels like you're downplaying the significance of women. And let me just say that. Um, very straightforward. No, what we believe is that the best thing we can do for women and children is to raise up godly men to act like men. And that when that happens, that everybody else benefits from that. And and here's why we believe that, because the scriptures kind of show this, that they kind of show that where men step into their callings, that people, families, churches, and nations flourish. And where men refuse to step into their callings, People, families, churches, and nations burn. And so what we want to do is we want to raise up a generation of, of godly, Jesus-y men who laid down their lives to bless the people around them. Now, um, here, here's what we're uh, doing today is that raises this question. Raises this question. Here's the question that raises. When does a boy become a man? When does a boy 
become a man. There is tremendous confusion about this in our culture. So if we're trying to build men, when's a boy become a man? A lot of people say a lot of different answers. Obamacare said 26. At 26, that's when you got to get off of mommy's and daddy's insurance. Budweiser says 21. The United States Army says 18. The, D, uh, the Xbox says 17. The DMV says 16. God help us all, man. I'm going to have a kid driving in a few years, and I, I can't even get over that. DMV says 16. Disney says 10. 10 years old. That's when you got to start uh, paying adult prices uh, uh, for kids' tickets. I'm the only place that I could find any consistency at all on the answer to when a boy becomes a man. Both Delta Airlines and Advil agree two years old. That's when you're a man. That's it, man. Because uh, at two years old, that's when you're taking adult doses and you're paying adult uh, prices for the plane tickets. So we want to answer this question, when does a boy become a man? Tremendous confusion in our culture. Now, here's what's awesome, okay? What's awesome is no confusion in the Bible at all. Like it just tells us in a straightforward way, here's how a boy becomes a man. Now, I'm going to show you something in the Bible, but I, I, I want to preface it with this, okay? A few years ago, these sociologists, they came out with this. To them, this, it was mind-blowing. This mind-blowing discovery. Like, oh man, they, they waited through decades of research and thousands of hours of scientific analysis and all that stuff. And they, dis they discovered, they used that word, they discovered this amazing thing and they called it the success sequence. And here's what their research discovered, okay? Here's what it discovered. That when they, they studied millennials and it, when people follow this exact order, listen close, this order 97% of the time, the people who follow this order, they don't end up in poverty. And oh, by the way, that's, uh, that, that success sequence, it works across ethnicities, races, and socioeconomic backgrounds. Now check this out. Here was the order they discovered, okay? If you get at least a high school education, and then step two, you get a full-time job, and then step three, you marry, you, you get married, and then step four, after you get married, you have kids. If someone follows those four steps in that order, 97% of the time, they don't end up in poverty, and they were like, this is mind-blowing. I can't believe, this is amazing what we've discovered. And what I wanted to say, I wanted like alternate headline, sociologists discover what people who have been reading the Bible have known for 5,000 years. That's all. Because check this out, okay? Check this out. Sociology is always catching up with theology. Here's what the Bible shows us. Check this out. This is from Genesis 2. Now, you're, you're going to see this. Here's the order. God took the who? Took the man. God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to do what? what to work it. Y'all going to have to help me out, man. You're going to wake up 11 o'clock. 9.30 was better, okay? So don't, don't do that. To work it and what? There, that was much best. Great. Take care of it. So here, here you go. So step one, man, we're going, to, we're going to put him in the garden to work it. So step one, we're going to get a job. That, that's step one. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother. And some of the mommies and daddies are like, dear Lord Jesus, will you please? You're going to get a functional raise when that happens. So we're going to leave uh, mom, mom and dad. And then we're going to what? We're going to hold fast to his wife. So we're going to get married. And then they shall become one flesh. So check this out. Here's the order that, that Genesis shows us. The journey from boyhood to manhood is check it out. Here, here's where it goes. It's, hey, we get a job and then we move out of mom and dad's house and then you marry a woman and, and then you, you have kids. 
Okay, now in, in this order, that's the journey from boyhood to manhood. Now, let me make a point so, to get into what we're talking about today. In the Bible, manhood is not about rejecting womanhood. It's about growing out of boyhood and into responsibility. So manhood is not whatever women are, I'm the opposite. Women are emotional, I'm unemotional. Women don't like to fart and burp and drink beer, so I like to fart and burp and drink beer. It's not rejecting womanhood. It's growing out of boyhood and into manhood. Check this out. Just notice this in, in that order. Okay, there are three phases in, in somebody's life. In phase one, I'm a, I'm a boy. You are responsible for me. And then step two, I get a job and I move out. Now I am responsible for me. And then step three, I get married and have a family. And now I work, earn, lead, and provide. I am responsible for you. See, this is what manhood is. What men do is they work, earn, lead, and provide and build to take responsibility to be a blessing to people, families, churches, and, and societies around them. This is what manhood is. Now, here's what we're gonna talk about today, okay? Today, we're gonna talk about big step in that, and it's work. We're gonna talk about, we're gonna talk about the get a job part, okay? Now, quick caveat, I do wanna say this. In no way, I'm directing this sermon at men, and especially in some ways, young men, although it's gonna apply to all of us. But I do just wanna give a caveat. There is nothing wrong with a woman working outside of the home. The Bible does not forbid that in any way, okay? There is something wrong with a man who is able sitting at home and telling a woman, you get out there and work and other people work so I don't have to. There is something wrong. She agrees with me, right? This is like, amen, man. There is something wrong with that, all right? So here, here's what we do. Now, here's what we know about work, all right? Here's what we know about work, that it's meaningful and it's hard. It's meaningful and it's hard. I did some research this week and here's some stats I came across. So 80% of workers feel stress on the job. 80%, okay? Now, check this out. 25% of people said they felt like screaming or shouting because of job stress. It get, but it gets worse. Somebody said, amen. Man, this is all right. All right, gets worse. 10% of people are concerned about an individual at work they fear could become violent. It actually gets even worse. 14% of the people are like, and I'm the one who might become violent felt like striking a coworker in the last year, all right? So here's what we need to understand. So work is meaningful, but it's hard. And at times it's stressful. So, so we, we need to understand what work is. What, you know, what's the purpose of work? What's God doing there? And then how, how does it become meaningful and life-giving for us? So let's get into it. We're gonna, because we are Bible people, we are going to start with theology. So let's start with the Bibles and theology. If we'll go back to Genesis 2.15, I wanna point this out. Check this out. It says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Now I wanna point this out. That happened in Genesis chapter two. Sin does not enter the world and ruin the world until Genesis chapter three. So everything before Genesis three in the fall, God creates it and he declares that it's good, everything. And work was one of the things that God created and he actually declared it's good. So, so can I just make a point? This needs to be really clear, to clear up any confusion. God created sunsets before sin and the fall. Are sunsets good? Yeah, they're good, okay? Now, you, you all tell me. God created animals before sin and the fall. Are, are animals good? Now, some of y'all are thinking cats, and you're like, I don't know, man, I don't know. But some of y'all are thinking hamburgers, and you're like, absolutely. No, sorry, Peta. Okay, now, I'm, I'm speaking to especially dudes, so let me, let me kind of speak your language in a straightforward way. God created sex and procreation before sin and the fall. Is that good? 
There's more baritone yes, I noticed right there, okay? And then also it says God created work before the fall. So is work good? Yes, it is. What the Bible says is God created everything, everything. And he said that it was good. Now, this is important. When God said that it was good, he did not use the Hebrew word for perfect. He created everything and said, it's good, not perfect. Perfect means cannot be improved upon. Good means the raw materials are there that can be rearranged to become perfect. Here's my illustration for this. I have Jana's permission to use it. When you see Jana walk into church on the weekend and she did her hair and she did the makeup and she, the outfit's on point, thanks Stitch Fix, and she's got all that going on. Okay, when Jana does that, she's perfect. Cannot be improved upon. When Jana wakes up first thing in the morning, rolls out of bed, she's good. It's good, okay? All right. But then she rearranges the raw materials and things are perfect. That's, that's what happened. So this is what, now I got Jana's permission to, to go there. This is what God does is he created everything. The raw materials are there. And then he tells mankind, you go work it. You rearrange the raw materials and bring them into submission to God's will. Here's, here's all the implications of this. God is a creator and you were made in his image. And so you were designed to work and be a co-creator with him through your work. So contractors take the raw materials of sand and cement and they uh, rearrange them to create buildings. Artists take the raw materials of color and music and they rearrange them to create art. Lawyers take principles of justice and they codify them into laws that benefit society. This is good. It's what you were designed to do. Now, can I speak in a straightforward way real quick, okay? What a lot of, because work is hard. It's meaningful, but it's hard. What a lot of guys do is they work really, really hard not to work. That's what a lot of guys do. So instead of standing up and acting like a man and taking, working and taking responsibility for the people around them, what a lot of guys do right now is they act like children, avoid responsibility, go to college, drink and party. They don't work hard to get a good job so they can't handle the college debt they incurred. And instead of working hard to take responsibility for the debt they incurred, they just vote for somebody else that will make everybody else pay for it. And you see what happened, now just, I wanna point it out. Let me point it out. What's happening is I'm working really, really hard not to have to work hard. Okay, now, dudes, I'm talking to you. So like, let me, let me speak your language, okay? That is not smart for two reasons, okay? Number one, I'm gonna speak your language, okay? Can, let me just, just cut right to the point. It's not smart, reason number one, because women think men with good jobs are sexy. Well, let me, you see that? Like, I just, that's your case study right there. Okay, like when, when men, before, uh, people, before boys become men and they're boys, they think, oh man, women are into like abs on my stomach and subs on my car. Okay, that, that's when, when little girls are dating boys, that's what they care about. But when girls become women, they're going, I just want a dude with a good job. That's hot because he can take care of the family we wanna create together. Women think jobs are sexy. Okay, so I'm speaking your language. But then number two, here's why it's not smart, because you're rebelling against your design. God created you to do this. You were designed for this. And you'll actually never be happy and never be fulfilled until you're pouring yourself out in work to enjoy. Here's my case study. Wish I had more time to talk about this. Y'all tell me out loud, during COVID lockdowns, were people working more or less? Less, not a trick question, less. Okay, uh, question number two, during COVID lockdowns, were people more depressed or less depressed? More. So people were working less, but they were more depressed. Why? 
because you were designed for this and you won't be happy until you pour yourself into it. Somebody told me this when I was a young man. They just said, men are like trucks. They drive straighter with a load. And when you got a load on your back, like, man, I got a family, I got a job, it's like a good job, I got a career, I got goals, I'm trying to advance, you're going to drive straighter. So here's what we're going to do. Let's talk about this. What I've noticed is dudes need it practical. So let's get practical, okay? Let's talk about three purposes, the three purposes of work that God shows us in the Bible. Here's why I'm doing this. Because what I've noticed about men is when men lose their why, they lose their way. If they don't understand why, they lose the how and the what. So I'm going to be really straightforward and practical on three purposes for work. Number one, it's the baseline purpose of work in the Bible. Work is for provision. Work is for provision. God has designed it so that, uh, so that uh, we provide men work under, again, Yes, there are uh, mitigating circumstances, disabilities. I'm talking about normal circumstances. Under normal circumstances, men should work to provide for ourselves and our immediate family if we are able. This is no one else's responsibility. It is not the government's responsibility. It is your responsibility. God has placed this calling on you and dignified you with it. Now, I want to show you this in the Bible. It is not me. This is the Bible. Paul says this in the book of 1 Timothy. He says this. Anyone, this is like a punch you in the face kind of verse. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now that, I'm, that's silence for effect. See, now, now why does it say has denied the faith? Well, because we just read it. What our faith teaches us is that God created men to work and gave them this calling. Go work and provide for the people around you. This is what you were created to do. So when you don't do that, willingly choose not to do that, you're denying the faith that was entrusted to us in the book of Genesis. Now, what you'll notice is that, you know, I think most people try to do a good job in this regard. But there are some people, they kind of have this attitude where it's like, man, I don't really like to work, so I'll just avoid working. And honestly, if I don't like it, I shouldn't really have to do it. Hey, I'm gonna, if you don't think that people actually think like that, I'm gonna read you. This is, act, this is out of a, an op-ed from a newspaper in a foreign country called California. <clears throat> this is uh, from the, oh, that's a joke, by the way. That's a joke. Uh, this is uh, from the LA Times. This is an actual op-ed. There's been a lot of criticism of people lately who do not want to work, especially when they're collecting welfare. Now, most people prefer to work, and that's, that's fine for them, but others may prefer Uh, But others may prefer to sit in the park or to go to the beach or observe the wonders of nature. Those who dislike working should not be penalized by depriving them of the benefits of all of our society. There's plenty for all of us. Everyone does not feel the same way about working. Here's my favorite sentence. Some people actually have built-in feelings about work that could make it very unpleasant for them when they're required to work. That's, that's great. Okay. Now, these feelings could be looked upon as a handicap. This is, these feelings are a handicap. We do not punish others with handicaps. Instead, our society provides for them. And we should do the same for those with a natural dislike of work. Why can't we all just live and let live with each other living in his own style? That's actually an op-ed. Okay? Now, listen, God's not trying to be mean What's actually mean is when you, uh, you don't encourage people to take on the responsibility that results in the flourishing love and provision for people around them. 
That's what's actually made. So actually, just, I want to point out a verse. This verse has a bit of an edge to it, but here's what God says in the book of uh, 2 Thessalonians. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. This is how God designed the world. Now, I do want to say this, okay? Yeah, that's, check, check it out with me. I do want to say this. I had some even hesitancy about just going right in on that thing because I do have fear that some people will read that and they will read it as a disincentive for generosity to the poor. It would be incredibly un-Jesus-y of any Christian to use something like that to go, that's my excuse for not being radically generous to the poor. In fact, the New Testament says that when they were planning churches, they said, this is the very thing that we were most eager to do, be generous to the poor. But the Bible simply does say that work is what results in provision. No work, no provision. Now, this is, a, let's, let's be honest. People sometimes avoid this, guys, because work can be hard. Uh, it can be hard. So you'll notice this. Uh, sin happens in Genesis 3, and God gives two curses to the man and woman. The curse for the woman is, hey, pregnancy is going to be hard and painful. That's your curse for sin. To the man, he goes, here's your curse. Work's going to be hard and painful. That's the curse you're going to have to endure. So after that, man cultivates the ground, but the Bible says now thorns and thistles are going to come up. By the sweat of your brow, it's going to be hard. So guys, stuff breaks, employees are irresponsible, bosses are mean, and org charts are never perfect. There's thorns in the garden of the world. Now, what are you going to do? What are you going to do when work is hard? Well, I ran across one solution to what to do when work's hard this week. This person just said this. I found this helpful. When you have one of those take this job and shove it days, try this. On your way home, stop at your pharmacy and go to the section where they have thermometers. You need to purchase a rectal thermometer made by the Q-Tip company. Be sure that you get this brand. When you get home, lock your doors, draw the drapes, and disconnect the phone so that you will not be disturbed during your therapy. Change into something comfortable such as a sweatsuit and lie down on your bed. Open the package containing the thermometer, remove it, and carefully place it on the bedside table so that it will not be chipped or broken. Take the written material that accompanies the thermometer, and as you read, notice in small print this statement. Every rectal thermometer made by the Q-tip company is personally tested. <laughs> now, close your eyes and say out loud five times, thank you, oh thank you, that I do not work in quality control at the Q-tip company. <laughs> That's what you do when work is hard. Now, is that going to get you through the next day? Nope. It's not. Here's what will, remembering the second purpose of work. Number two, work is for worship. And again, I will speak to you in a very straightforward way in this section of the message. Now, I'm getting ready to read a passage that is addressed to slaves. Some people read a passage like this and they go, oh, see, the Bible condones slavery. That is an absolute and utter myth. No, the Bible does not condone slavery for two reasons. One, slavery in ancient Rome was radically different than chattel, race-based, lifelong slavery in America of a few hundred years ago, radically different. And two, uh, Paul is giving instructions to people under a system, not condoning the system. In the same way that if I wrote a discipleship letter to, letter to Christians living in uh, Muslim countries under Sharia law, me giving them discipleship instructions for how to live in that uh, country faithfully, that's not me condoning the system, that's me discipling the Christians. 
So Paul's speaking into this, and he's giving the analogy of like employee-employer relationships. Look at what Paul says. Check this out. Now, I'm going to have you say a couple words out loud for a reason. It says slaves, but then what's the yellow word? Slave, what? Obey. Obey your earthly masters. Number one, if, again, I'm going to speak in a straightforward way, especially young men. I need, I need you to listen. Number one, Christians in the workplace, they should obey their employers, and they should do what they are told. This is what we do as people of integrity and humility who follow Jesus. We obey our employers. Here's what this means, that it is okay for your employer to give you a job description. You are paid to do what they want you to do, not what you want to do. Nobody ever got paid for taking naps. They are paying you to do what they want you to do, and it's okay for them to hold you accountable to the job description you have been given. Some people, whenever they're held accountable to the job description, they're going, oh, this is workplace abuse. No, no, there is such a thing as abuse, and that's very serious, but that's not, that's not abuse, that's called employment. And what Christians should do in the workplace as people of integrity and humility is we look at the authorities over us and we go, yes, sir. What have you asked me to do? I'm gonna work at it with all my might. So we obey the leaders that are over us. And then watch what it says. Uh, obey your earthly masters with what? With respect and this is about honor. This is about honor. Guys, we live in a culture of so much disrespect. Can I just tell you this? There is so much disrespect in our culture. If you just honor people around you and authorities above you in your workplace, you are going to stand out. You are going to stand out. That's all you got to do, man. Like, let me just say again, uh, yes, I'm a pastor, but, but remember, a lot of people forget, I'm also an employer. There's about 250 employees at Lake Point that I oversee. So can I tell you what this looks like? Man, if your employer, the, the supervisor, if they have a, a title that goes with their position, let me get real practical. Use that title. A lot of younger guys, they walk into the workplace, they see their boss, and they're like, what's up, bro? Hey, Steve, how you doing, man? Like, how about saying, good morning, Mr. Johnson? Man, use titles that honor the people above you. And when your boss is not in the room, like, respect them. Have their back. Don't badmouth them when they're out of the room. Don't complain. And you may hear, yeah, Josh, but, but you don't know my situation. It's awful. Yeah, it may be. But guys, when Paul's writing this passage, he's addressing slaves. He's saying, hey, man. You're not doing this because your boss is, uh, is honorable. You're doing it because as a Christian, you are a person of honor. So with respect and fear, and then watch this, and when, with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Jesus Christ, just as you obey Christ, here's the, here's the big idea. Ultimately, you work for Jesus. Ultimately, you work for Jesus. Let me say it a third time, repetition for emphasis. Ultimately, you work for Jesus. The Bible's saying above your boss is your Lord. And how good your work is isn't based on how good your boss is, but how good your Lord is. You may go, yeah, John, but you don't understand. My boss is awful. Yeah, but Jesus isn't awful, and ultimately you work for Jesus. Yeah, Josh, my, my, my boss won't honor me for it. Yeah, but your Lord will. Jesus will. Yeah, Josh, but my boss won't reward me. Yeah, yeah, but Jesus will. In fact, look at what this passage says. Check this out. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eyes on you, so don't just honor them when they're in the room, when they're out of the room, but as slaves of Christ. You see that above your boss is your Lord, doing the will of God from your heart. 
Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for what they have done. So my boss won't reward me, but the Lord will. Now, really quick, if you do this, listen to me, man. Again, I'm not just a pastor, I'm an employer. Let me speak to everybody that works, but especially the men in our church. If you do this, if you do these three things, if you obey and do your job, if you honor the people around you and above you, and you work well as if you are working for Jesus, two amazing things will happen in your life. Number one, you will prosper. You will prosper. Let me just share my heart with you. I pray for the people of Lake Point to prosper nearly every single day. I pray for you. I pray that God would put you in positions of massive influence so that you could influence people for Christ. I pray that God would entrust you with incredible resources. I literally, here's what I pray for you almost every day. I pray, Lord, please give the people of Lake Point more than they need so that they have to share. I pray for you to prosper. And can I just tell you this? As an employer, this is very obvious to me. Listen, especially young men, if you just do these things, if all you do is just, if you, let me get, I wanna make sure I got it right here. If you just do these things, if you get up, read your Bible, go to work, have a good attitude, and actually try, you'll have a decade head start on all the other guys. I'm not joking. You're 10 years ahead of them if you will just do those things. So number one, you will prosper, but number two, far more importantly, Jesus will be worshiped. Jesus will be worshiped. A great deal of your life will be spent at work. And if people know that you're a Christian, how you conduct yourself will reflect on our faith for good or for ill. Wouldn't it be awesome if we got to the point where when people had an opening at their company, they called the church and they were like, man, we need more Christians because they work different. They work like they're working for Jesus. How do we get more of those people? And you'd be going, man, I don't know how to get motivated to do stuff like that. Well, here's how to get motivated. Lean into the third purpose for work, the highest purpose for work, and here's what it is. Number three, work is for witness. Work is for witness, okay? Now, some of you right now, you're like, yeah, Josh, you don't know my job. My job sucks, and I'm, you know, I'm just like, I'm just doing my job and making a little widget, and I'm just, I'm just plugging away and doing my job. Okay, let me, let me say this to you. Elevate your vision. Elevate your vision. The Bible says that God has appointed the times and seasons and places that he has put his children. So do you realize this? God put you in that place at this time among those people to make an eternal difference for his glory. He put you there to do that. So listen, man. Elevate your vision. 39 out of the 40 miracles God does in the book of Acts, he does outside of the church. God is showing that he is as interested in displaying his power outside of the church as he, inside, as he is inside of it. Billy Graham, before he died, made this prediction. He predicted that the next great awakening in America would happen through faithful business leaders in the marketplace. Man, may it be so. Yes, that's, that's what we ought to be celebrating towards. We want to see an awakening happen. And God may use you to do it. You're like, oh, Josh, I'm just here because that guy hired me. No, God appointed you. That's why you're there, okay? Now, you may be going, I, I, I don't even know, how, how would I do that, okay? Well, again, dudes need it practical. Let me land a plane real practical. Here are four models for you to do this. I'm gonna do each one like in just a couple sentences real fast. While I'm doing these, you need to pray and ask the Holy Spirit, how would you have me step into this as an ambassador of Jesus Christ, okay? Okay, four models. Number one, the Peter model. 
Peter started as a fisherman. Jesus called him out of the marketplace and into ministry to be a fisher of men. The Peter model is when you use your marketplace skills for ministry. We've got amazing people in our church to do this. I'll give one example. There's a guy on our staff. His name is Jason Brooks. He's an executive level leader in our church. Before Jason came on staff at Lake Point, Jason was a vice president at Outback overseeing about 150 locations at Outback. It's called multi-unit leadership. He was crushing it. He is incredibly talented. God moved on his heart after God changed his life at Lake Point. He joined our team and watch this. He was doing multi-unit leadership for Outback and we are a multi-site church. So Jason is now on our executive team and he leverages his, his frankly astounding marketplace skills to make sure that we are efficient, that we leverage our resources for the highest kingdom ROI at Lake Point. And frankly, it is astounding to watch him do it and we are all blessed because of it. See, that's happening because some, God did this. He used somebody's marketplace skills for a workplace ministry. Now, this is not always vocationally. This happens in volunteer areas all over the church. I got a, I got a buddy that's a, a pastor in like downtown New York, seeing a lot of people get saved off the streets. There was a guy that was saved in his church and he came and he was like, hey, I, I want to I serve in the church, make a difference. How can I do that? And the pastor friend didn't know this guy was a converted drug dealer. And so he was just like innocently asked, well, you know, what skills do you have? We can use those for the kingdom. And the guy was like, well, you know, I don't know if I got any skills. And the pastor said, well, what did you do before? <laughs> you know? And he said, well, you know, I was into like pharmaceutical distribution, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> well, eventually they kind of dug and they figured out that Jesus had saved him out of this, you know, background. And, uh, and, and what they did is they realized he had like street smarts instincts, and they, they put him in an area overseeing some of the finance of the church, by the way, with good accountability over him. <laughs> That's a big win. And, and sure enough, he used those and the thing grew. Guys, some of you, you have these marketplace skills that God wants to use to build his kingdom. Leadership, teaching. We need you in our kids' ministry, teaching people the Bible. Strategy. We need people from customer service, leading greeting teams, that sort of thing. All of these things. So this is a Peter model. Marketplace skills for church place ministry. Number two, I'm about to, listen, I'm gonna say something radical right here. And what I am praying is that this absolutely wrecks a few of your lives. You're welcome, okay? This is the Paul model. This is where you work somewhere strategic for the mission. Guys, remember, the apostle Paul was not vocationally a pastor. He was vocationally a tent maker. He had a job that he realized, I can work my job in any city. I work remote. <laughs> and so Paul was like, what he did is he went to cities that needed churches, got jobs there, worked as a tent maker, and his job funded the church planting. Guys, Lake Point Church has planted 52 thriving churches in unchurched cities throughout America. And through our More Than Us initiative, our goal is to, to be at 100 churches we've planted in unchurched cities within the next five years. Do you know what those, you know what those church planters are gonna need? They need core teams that serve as great church members to help them build the church. I'm praying that some of you right now in the hearing of my voice, the Holy Spirit begins to break your heart for these unchurched cities. And you begin to realize that you have a job you could do anywhere. And you feel a call of God to uproot your family, sell your home, move to a place where a church is being planted and leverage your life like the apostle Paul for the advance of the kingdom and the planting of churches. This is the Paul model of marketplace ministry. Number three, it's the Lydia model. Lydia in the Bible was a woman who was incredibly successful in like the fashion industry in Rome. Like she was making bank. 
And the Bible tells us what Lydia did is she followed Paul around. She had the unique ability to make, build, and distribute wealth. And she was the one that funded Paul's church planting efforts. See, the Lydia model of ministry is when you build wealth and you leverage that wealth that you built to build the church. Now, at Lake Point Church, this is a church that we just have thousands and thousands of faithful tithing people. But at unique moments in our church's history, people with a unique ability to build wealth, and you might be a person, you're like, man, and I'm just good at seeing where that wealth could be distributed to make an incredibly high eternal ROI, kingdom ROI. Some of you are like that. And there have been moments in our church's history where somebody did that and it rapidly accelerated the advance of the kingdom. Uh, For instance, it costs about $120,000 for us to plant a church in a city. Over and over again in our church's history, somebody with, with wealth on their hands just went, I wanna take care of the next church. I'm in, I got that next one. You let me know. And now there are dozens of churches in those places because of people who practice Lydia model ministry. Uh, another example, we had a campus at our church that was thriving and growing. Uh, somebody at that, uh, a business owner sold a business, had a cash windfall, and this person funded the construction of that campus. And now hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people will be with Jesus in eternity forever because that guy stepped forward with his, with his wealth for kingdom ROI. See, that stuff, this is what we're seeing. Some of you, you have this ability. And listen, pastors guilt people all the time for making lots of money. I wanna be the opposite of that. What we need you to do is absolutely crush it and leverage it for the glory of God in the advance of the gospel, okay? That's number three. Here's number four, last one. All of, this is for all of us. It's the Daniel model. Remember Daniel, he starts out in the book of Daniel as a victim of human trafficking, lowest dude in the entire empire. And watch this, through integrity, excellence, and love, he is elevated into the kingdom to by the time at the end of Daniel, he's essentially the vice president of Babylon, wielding his kingdom influence for the Lord. This is the Daniel model is through integrity, excellence, and love, you are a kingdom influence in your marketplace job. Now, some of you, you just need help going, I don't know how to do that. Okay, I'm gonna give you five examples, one sentence each, from people in our church who are finding creative ways to do this. Example one, there is a business leader that attends our Rockwall campus who he leveraged the profits of his business to build a school in Liberia, serving and educating underprivileged children. If any employee in his company wants to travel to Liberia and serve at that school or travel anywhere to serve in humanitarian efforts, he comps all of their time and doesn't count it as vacation or time off at all. He's like, we wanna be a business that is about blessing the world. Let me help you do that, okay? Example number two, there is a lawyer in our church who, because of his job, he's always with people in crisis moments. And so what he does is after he's finished legally consulting them, he A, stops billing them, that's important. And then he goes, hey, um, you can say no to this, but I'm a person of faith. Would you mind if I prayed for you right now? It's a gentle, non-cringy way 
to just kind of be like the light of Jesus to somebody. Example number three, there's a, a, another leader in our church who has about 8,000 people in his downline, works in a very large organization, and he coaches employees towards a, a time of personal reflection and development in the morning, in leadership development. What he does is when he says that, he goes, hey, I'll give you an example from my life, and then he'll say something like this. Uh, what I do personally is I like to, in the morning, read the Bible for 10 minutes a day, and then a leadership book for 10 minutes. And I'm developing both spiritually and professionally. Gentle way to be a, a, a light here. A, a, example number four, there is a law enforcement officer in our church that in 2020, when like all the racial tension was really high, BLM, defund the police, all that stuff. This guy reached out to African-American leaders in the community and he said this, I'm a person of faith. And as a person of faith, I believe it's not just my calling as a police officer to uphold justice, but as a Christian to be a minister of reconciliation. How can I help? That is a radical witness to the love of Christ in the workplace. Last one, we have people in our church that own gyms or they're personal trainers, and they'll tell their clients, hey, I want to develop you holistically, mind, body, and spirit. And so after kind of working out that kind of thing, they'll say, hey, over on that table on your way out, I've got some devotionals that have really helped me emotionally and spiritually. That's my gift to you on your way out because I wanna be a whole life blessing to the people under my care. These are examples. You need to ask the Holy Spirit to go, how would you have me be an ambassador for Christ where I am? Now, I wanna put, let me land a plane right here. I wanna put all this together and show you what happens when everybody steps into this calling, okay? A lot of you guys will remember it was in uh, 2021, the big freeze we had, you know, a, a year under, or a, a week under uh, sub-zero temperatures, killed dozens of people in the DFW area, did $18 billion worth of damage to people's pipes bursting in their homes. Immediately after that, there was a business owner who had been gifted to build wealth in our church who approached me after the service and he said, Pastor Josh, I want to be used of God to help the poor and underprivileged in Dallas who can't afford to fix their pipes. And he gave a significant six-figure gift to help those people. Now, that money from that business leader made its way to a man named Shea Fields who oversees Lake Point Missions. Oh, by the way, Shea Fields spent a lot of his life building a 700-employee pharmaceutical company, sold that company, and now he works in his retirement to oversee Lake Point Missions, leveraging his executive leadership and organizational skills to leverage our dollars to get the highest kingdom ROI so that we are as efficient as we possibly can be to make the biggest difference possible in the nations through Lake Point Church. And it is astounding to watch. So Shay uses his experience to go, the best way to do this would be to channel these dollars through on the ground businesses who are helping people. So Shay reached out to two business leaders in Lake Point Church that each own plumbing companies and are Christian men. They got with him and they were like, absolutely, we're in and we will volunteer some of the time of our employees and we'll volunteer some of our profits to help some of the poor and underprivileged in Dallas. So they got with all their plumbers and techs in their companies and they explained the strategy. Some of the non-Christian plumbers and techs in their company were like dumbfounded. They were like, what? You and these people are just giving away, lowering your profits to help people in need? Why would you do this? And then a Christian man in the company stood up and he said, well, here's why. Because we follow Jesus, who when he had the riches of heaven, he willingly stepped out 
and became poor to meet our needs when we were spiritually impoverished. And he explained it to them, and they were dumbfounded. So they went out and they began helping all these people fix all their pipes. And every single time they came across somebody who couldn't afford to fix the pipes of their house, they were able to say, hey, on behalf of this church and these Christians, and actually on behalf of Jesus Christ himself, they want to take care of your needs, so we're going to make sure that your, uh, your pipes are fixed so that you've got some place to live. In Jesus' name, we're going to do that. And some of those people were so moved by what was done for them that they ended up giving their lives to Christ, and some of them were baptized on this stage. Guys, that, that is what can happen when we step into these callings. And listen, God is calling you you to do this as his ambassador. You are placed in this moment, at this time, with those people to make an eternal difference for the glory of God and the good of people. And I want to pray that the Spirit would unleash a nuclear-powered energy through you to do it for his kingdom. So we would pray with me, please. And Father, thank you. Thank you for the men and women who work hard. I pray that you would raise up a generation of hardworking, Jesus-loving, self-sacrificing men and women who lay down their lives to be a blessing to the people around them. I pray that we would appreciate it and honor them when we do it. Father, I pray that you would put your spirit into all of us and that you would unleash the people of Lake Point to be a kingdom influence wherever they are. And that as that happens, that there would be a move of God that sweeps through marketplaces and businesses all throughout this area and that people would be swept up ultimately into the kingdom and they would come to know you. We pray that that would happen with faith in the crucified, risen name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Thanks for listening today. For more biblical teaching and worship, Join us for our church online live weekend services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. For more information about all the digital ministries of Lake Point, visit lakepoint.church/digital. digital.